Brad reminded me that if you're interested in going to the weekend to remember, right now it's half price. Uh, now the half price special ends January 22nd. Uh, also, there are discounted rates on rooms, and I think those go th maybe through the end of the month. Uh, and so if you want to go uh, and don't want to spend uh, more than you have to, uh, then this is a good time to register. On the sheet, out uh, on the table out there, and the table back here, it has a code at the bottom to use to make sure uh, to get your, uh, your discount. So. which is a lot better. Yeah. So if you have questions, uh, talk to us. All right. So if you would, please turn and copy God's word to Genesis chapter one, Genesis chapter one, you're going to find that on, you ready for this page one of your, uh, of your Bible. I know that's a surprise. Uh, so uh, while you're turning there, let me say that we're beginning a new series on the book of Genesis. We're looking at Genesis one through 11. We have previously considered uh, 12 through 25 with the life of Abraham, and, uh, and imagine some year, some year in the near future, we're going to talk about uh, the end of Genesis as well, specifically the, the life of Joseph, which is pretty exciting. Uh, but this morning, we're looking at Genesis 1, 1 through 2, so if you'll stand for the reading of God's Word. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, and Father, as we look at uh, a verse that is so well known to us, I pray that you would work it deep in our souls. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Bereshit bara Elohim. Bereshit bara Elohim. These three words in Hebrew, five words in English. In the beginning, God created. These, these few short words answer perhaps the two most important questions that everyone has to answer. Is there a God and where did all this stuff come from? Is there a God and where did all this stuff come from? You know, how we answer these two questions, uh, it really basically changes everything in our lives. If there's a God, then that means that he is in charge and not us. It means that he sets the purpose of everything, which means it's not about us. It means that there is someone who is bigger and greater and more powerful than we. Information that we have to do something with. It means that he sets the trajectory of history. It means that atheism is wrong, for there really is a God. And because he has told us he exists in these five words, then he is actually knowable, which means agnosticism is wrong. If God made everything, then everything belongs to him. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It means that he is not a part of the stuff we see but rather is the originator of it. This means materialism is wrong because something other than matter exists. 
It means that the Eastern religions are wrong and that God is not everything. That's called pantheism. If you've ever seen the Avatar movies, have you seen these movies with their religion? That's, pa- that's pantheism. Or the Force in Star Wars, that's pantheism. If God made everything, it means that everything exists for Him and for His glory. You know, when we think about everything existing for Him and for His own glory, we have to go no further than from the statistic that the human eye can only see between five and 10,000 stars from Earth. And we think there are 300 sextillion of them. There are more stars in the sky than there are grains of sand on all the beaches of the world. This has to be bigger than us. These things mean that you are not here by chance. You are not the product of a freak accident or merely the end result of slime slowly becoming a higher order of being. For if that was the case, then there would be no morality. And it really would be the strongest killing the weakest. In the beginning, God created. He created everything you see and hear and taste and feel and smell. But he also created the spiritual world, that which we cannot see, hear, taste, feel, and smell. Many have said that these three words in Hebrew and five in English are the most important words ever written. So let's unpack them one by one. In the beginning, in the beginning, that's one word in Hebrew. Genesis is a book about beginnings. Indeed, the the English word Genesis means beginning. And understanding where we came from is vitally important to understanding who we are and where we're going. Indeed, how we answer those questions determines the very trajectory of our lives. Listen to what one commentator says about Genesis. He says, if we want to understand the world, the meaning of life, the nature of our own selves, the salvation for which we hope, and the destiny awaiting us in the end, the origin of all these is recorded in Genesis. In fact, we could say that we cannot fully understand the Bible. We cannot fully understand our salvation. We can't understand history. We can't understand the nature of man unless we understand the opening chapters of Genesis. See, there was a beginning to everything. There was a beginning to everything, both of the seen and the unseen. And when we read in the beginning, we aren't talking about the beginning of God. For God was at the beginning, but he was also before the beginning. Indeed, it gets hard to know what kind of words to speak of, to use. How do you speak of a God who is eternal and infinite and limitless when our words, by their very definition, are definite and limited? It's hard to talk about chronology in a time in which time did not exist. For when God created the heavens and the earth, he created time itself. See, John 1, 1 through 2 actually takes us not only to the beginning, but before the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. This is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When the beginning happened, when he created the beginning, at that point, God had already existed for all of eternity. 
The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, is mentioned in in John 1. We have the Holy Spirit mentioned in verse 2, hovering over the face of the deep. And here we have the Father, the one who creates. They, as triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, lived, existed, they were, in eternity past. The one who was, is, and is to come. When the universe did not exist, not a star, not a planet, not a quark, not antimatter, not dark matter, not, not all these things that are still theoretical to us, even before the space in which all of this exists in, that one is hard to understand, isn't it? Even the space in which space exists did not exist until the beginning, when God made the heavens and the earth. Why is this important? Because there is a place where physics cannot take us. God made physics. He made the laws that are observations that seek to describe the orderly universe that he has created. But these laws of nature and science, as good as they are, cannot take us beyond the beginning point. But Scripture can. God was there. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth... Wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This means that God is self-existent. No one made him. God was not made. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have coexisted for all of eternity. It also means that God is self-sufficient. He didn't need anything. He doesn't need anything. He didn't create the world because he had some need that needed to be met. There are lots of implications for this. Let me just name a couple. First is that history is not a circle. You've heard this phrase, history repeats itself. And I know what we mean by that. But there are actually many philosophies in this world that consider history as just repeating itself over and over again. Even ideas of the universe, it'll someday be destroyed and it'll recreate itself and yet another big bang. And what we know from this text is that that's not true. It had a beginning and it will also have an end. See, there is an end to history in in two different meanings. There's an end as it will come to an end, but end in terms of purpose. Like what is the chief end of man? What is the chief purpose of man is for the glory of God, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And there is a trajectory to history. Do you remember in, in math or physics, do you remember the difference between a line and a vector? Do you remember these things? It's okay. Uh, so <laughs> a vector has a little ball on the end of it because it's a line that has a beginning. And it goes this way, and it has an arrow saying it's going somewhere. Right? Like a velocity, like it's going somewhere. History had a beginning and it's going somewhere. And it's going somewhere to the point when Christ returns and history ends. Time ends. The next word, at least in the English, is God. So in the beginning, God. Notice that the Bible doesn't seek to prove the existence of God. Isn't that amazing? The Bible does not begin with the five great arguments of why God exists. There are good arguments for the existence of God, and there are many passages of Scripture that lend evidence right, to the existence of God. But that's not where the Bible begins. 
It just simply states, in the beginning, God. God is the subject of the very first sentence. He simply exists. This answers, then, one of the greatest questions of all time. Does God exist? You know, have you ever wondered why some folks seem so intent on proving that God doesn't exist? Doesn't that seem a little illogical? If God does not exist, then why even bother? And yet there's this whole new movement called the New Atheism. Have you heard of this? People like Richard Dawkins and Bill Nye. Now, Bill Nye has done some pretty cool science, but his philosophy, his theology is awful. He is a rabid atheist. So was E.O. Wilson. Do you know the E.O. Wilson Park over here? Which is a great park. I was so sad when we named it after him. He's a great scientist. I've heard him speak at Samford. It was great. But he not only was intent on saying God existed, but he wanted the elimination of all religion. Right? Why? Because within us, we know that God exists. Romans 1 makes it real clear that the skies above, the creation itself, it reveals to us God's divine nature and his power. He has written it into our very hearts. We know that God exists, and, if, and there's this desire to prove he doesn't exist, because if he doesn't exist, we don't have to answer to him. And we really are the gods of our own kingdoms and universe. But there is a God, and we are not he. If there were no God, there would be no morality We couldn't say that something was good or bad or right or wrong because there would be no objective standard. If I killed you and you were weaker than me, then great. I've won. You've lost. So what? But because God created, because he has made man in his image, the way that he created, these things matter. And they bring matter to life. Life now matters. Without God, without a God who created, there is no dignity, value, or worth of mankind. Rob Fawcett up in Greenville, I was texting with him this week, and we were talking about the importance of understanding about God as creator. This is what he said. And remember, he's a little cheeky. Remember that? Uh, After all, to declare that this God is the creator is the most profound and foundational statement for understanding what a human image bearer is. Get this question wrong, and well, you get San Francisco. Right? You get San Francisco. That's what it means when we misunderstand that God created and there's dignity, worth, and value. Right? When we get the created order wrong, there's chaos. But far from being bad news that God exists, this is phenomenal fantastic news, especially when we consider the attributes we begin to learn about God in Genesis. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about God's character, uh, so we don't have time to exhaust it here. But let me just note a few things that we learn from Genesis 1, 1 and 2. First is that we learn that God is powerful. Though powerful might not, it might, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's an inadequate word, isn't it? He is El Shaddai, God Almighty, Almighty. He is all-powerful. That is omnipotent. He is the one, according to Ephesians 1.11, who works all things to the counsel of his will. 
He has a will, he has a plan, and he works all things according to it. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Or Isaiah 40.28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not grow faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Aren't you glad that our God didn't have to rest on day seven of creation? He didn't cease from his labors because he was worn out, because there's no limit to his power. It's not like he had used it up and needed to recharge like we do. Our God is all-powerful. What kind of power would it take to create the largest known star, which is 2.2 billion kilometers in diameter? That's a different distance from our sun to our fifth planet of Jupiter. Think about one star that size. Or the largest known galaxy, the Alcyonius galaxy, I hope I said that right, which is 16 million light years across. That's 123 times the size of our galaxy. Or just about how many galaxies there are. As one physicist put it, our galaxy is only one of some, listen to this math, is only one of some hundred thousand million that can be seen using modern telescopes. And each galaxy containing some hundred thousand million stars. Each galaxy has a, some hundred thousand million stars and there are hundred thousand million of those. In fact, when we look at the night sky, some of the dots that we see are not stars at all. They're galaxies each one with hundreds of thousands of millions of stars. I wonder if our God is powerful. And this is the God who loves you with a powerful love. And we become a man while remaining his divinity and die on the cross for you the Lord God Almighty, who has limitless and infinite power, who made the seas and the dry land, he took on flesh, died, and rose for your salvation. But his power isn't just displayed in his creating, but also his governing of all things. You know, many of our founding fathers weren't Christians, but deists. There were many who were believers, but but many who were not. Uh, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, and and Washington, depending on which day you you caught him, uh, these men believed in a God who had started the world and let it run, but who was not involved with it day to day. You know, it's interesting, that's not the picture we get in Scripture. Far from it. Rather, we read in Hebrews 1 about Jesus He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds it. It is an active thing. He continues to uphold it. God the Son continues to uphold and He runs it. He governs it as King. It is good when the person who is in charge is powerful, isn't it? You don't want a ruler who has no power. You want a good ruler, and we have that. And his goodness is um, together with his all-powerfulness, right? He is both almighty and all good. 
which is good, because though this world seems awfully dark, though there's so much pain and so much suffering, the story isn't over. And the plan which God has put in his word about about doing away with evil and fixing suffering and being present with his people, these things are trustworthy because he can carry out his plan. He does all that he pleases. One of the things that's often missed here when we talk about the nature of God in Genesis 1 is that we already know that God is a personal God from these very first verses. God did not have to reveal himself to us. He reveals himself to us in the created order, but he did not have to reveal himself in uh, his word to us. His word is how we learn about salvation. Without his word, we would not know what God requires of us and how we might be saved. But the fact that we are reading an account of something at which no one was an observer, no one was there in the beginning except God. And yet, in God's mercy, love, and grace, about the year 1440, 1400 B.C., God the Holy Spirit revealed this to Moses, that he might write it down for us, that we might know how the world came into existence, and that we might know what is wrong with this world, and we might know how salvation might be achieved through Christ his Son. God is a personal God. He desires to be in a relationship with you. So, in the beginning, God created. The the Hebrew word uh, for create is really important. Uh, It's the word bara. Uh, Now, bara is a word that is used of nobody except for God. In In the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, people will fashion, they will form, they will make. They'll do all sorts of things like that. But no one creates except for God. So I like to work with wood. And right now I'm working on some book holders for my pastor buddies uh, in the presbytery, and I'm using uh, pecky cypress for the backs, and then for the little holder at the bottom I have some mahogany. It's just gorgeous wood. And hopefully it'll turn out okay. But I have great materials to work with. I didn't create those materials. People gave them to me, and God created them. God created that wood. God created everything we see, and he did it out of nothing. You know, the Big Bang is wrong, okay? But if it were true, if it were true, it still does not answer one of these fundamental questions we began with. Where did all this stuff come from? The Big Bang says that there was this infinitely dense singularity 14 and a half billion years ago, that contained all of the mass in the universe, and then it exploded. And over the next 14 and a half billion years, it coalesced through gravity into our current universe. Even if that were true, it still does not answer one of the most important questions of humanity. Where did all of it come from? In order to have an answer, there has to be a supernatural answer. There has to be a supernatural answer. Where did the material come from? It came from the immaterial. We're told this in Scripture, Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so 
that what is seen was not made of things that are visible. God spoke and it came into existence. That's how powerful He is. And He created everything. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What are the heavens and the earth? It's like when we say day and night. I'm working day and night. What does that mean? That means all the time. Heavens and the earth. Now, he did literally create the heavens and the earth, but it also is what's called a merism. It's, it's everything. Heavens and the earth and everything in between. Right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that is within it. Did you know that this everything includes you? You can't spell everything without you. Actually, you can. It's a joke. Uh, that means that you aren't an accident. And that's good news. You are not an accident. I don't care who your parents were, what you've done, or what's been done to you, where you grew up, where your house is, what kind of house you have, whether you're rich, poor, white, black, American, uh, Kenyan, what, whatever. You are not an accident. You are special to God, and you have value, dignity, worth, and significance. So our God created everything by the word of his power. And note that it was a triune effort. It was the work of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now remember, we use some Hebrew words, or I use some Hebrew words at the beginning. Bereshit, Barah. Elohim, in the beginning created God. You put the verb before the subject in Hebrew. Elohim is, uh, is actually plural. It's a plural word. Um, now, some have said that it refers directly to the Trinity, that we have diversity here in Genesis 1-1, perhaps. Others have said that this is what's called a plural of majesty, which is like the king of England saying, we are not amused. You know, you have so much power that you can't use a singular pronoun. You have to use we um, either way, there is, uh, the, the Trinity is involved in, in these two verses. You have God the Father who is creating. Genesis, or excuse me, John 1 3 says about Jesus, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. So there's the Father, there's the Son. In verse 2, you get the Spirit who's hovering over the deep, right? The triune God made this world, and the triune God loves you. See, this is, this is the beginning of the story, but this isn't all of the story, is it? Because we know that by the time we get to chapter 3, things drastically changed. If you're visiting with us today and you wonder what's wrong with this world, that's answered in Genesis 3, where death replaced life, where fullness and blessing gave way to brokenness, and peace with God was replaced by sin and separation. Everything that is evil in this world came because Adam and Eve sinned against God. And now because uh, they did this, we are born into this world in rebellion against God. We are born sinners. That is why we sin. But remember, this isn't the end of the story. See, the triune God, He loves you. The second person of the Trinity, He would come and he'll be born of a virgin. He'll be born in Bethlehem. And he would live a hard life. He would live a perfect life. Not only never sinning, but also only doing that which is righteous and good. And he would spend three years in his public ministry healing the sick, 
raising the dead, and preaching the gospel. But he was rejected. He was rejected by the very people he came to save, the ones whom he had created. And he was nailed to a cross. And upon that cross, the sin of all of God's people, of all of our rebellion, was placed on him. That that which was lost in Genesis 3 might be regained. That our sin might be forgiven. And we know that it worked because on the third day he rose again from the dead. And because the tomb is empty, we know that if we repent of our sins and put our faith in Christ Jesus, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But even then, the story's not over. Because remember, history is heading somewhere. And it's heading when Christ comes again with the new creation, the new heavens, the new earth. And time will end. And sickness, sorrow, pain, and death will be felt and feared no more. And the dwelling place of God will be with man. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Father, we thank you that you have created all things by the word of your power. And so we bow in humble adoration. We bow and give you worship and praise. And we thank you that you love us. In the name of Christ, amen.